Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. This isn't Wacky Wednesday. This is Funky Friday. Thanks for hanging uh, with us during some holiday rescheduling. I'm Adam Best, here as always with Sterling Holmes and producer Hunter behind the scenes. What's going on, man? Dude, I ripped my ankles up today. I played basketball with some college kids because I think I still have some game left. I also have never worn Jordans before, and I go, this will be a good idea. No way this goes wrong. Strapping some bricks to my feet. Yeah, my feet are hurting, but I'm glad I'm here. Going to talk some Chiefs and some Broncos with you. Man, we used to wear giant basketball shoes back in the days. I'm old enough to have uh, worn Reebok pumps, and oh, those, yeah, those weren't bricks. Those were those were cinder blocks. The Shaq Gnosis. I had a pair of those bad boys. The Shaq Gnosis. Those were horrible. Well, we have a, uh, a special show for you, but before that, Sterling has a uh, word for our sponsor. What's not horrible is Casey Bierko. Casey Bierko is the best beer you are going to have. I actually had some last night, went to a bar, got me some Winterbach. I tried three different beers, uh, some other companies, but Casey Bierko's Winterbach really shined and stood out. If you've not had this, you guys are doing yourself a disservice if you live in the Kansas City, Kansas, or Missouri area. Look for the red box. The white box is the specialty one, the Winterbach box. I'm telling you guys right now, if you've not tried it, please go out and try it. Anytime that you guys tag us on Twitter saying you went out and bought some Dunkel, the Hefeweizen, that does us a huge solid. They see that. They respond to that. It means the world to us. Thank you guys so much. Casey Beerco, dare to beer different. Now, what if you don't live in the Kansas City metro area? Because my, my wife wants <laughs> some of this stuff and didn't get any last time we got back. We're going to have to hit you up to ship something, man. Oh, come on, baby. I'll start bootlegging. Uh, no, I will not. I will not start, start bootlegging, guys. Al Capone over here. Well, we have a, as I said, something special for you today. We have a guest, a Denver Broncos expert that has been doing this for a long time, who, who has been nice enough to give us his time and come on the show. Sarah Bettinger from Predominantly Orange and the Locked on Broncos podcast. What's going on, Sarah? Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I love to talk about Jordans. I got a pair sitting right behind me. There's a reason they're sitting on display behind me. Let's just say I feel your pain there. So uh, I love it and excited to talk with you guys. More fashionable than, than uh, helpful on the uh, court. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, we're going to get to the big game, but I've got some questions about some of the drama happening in Denver before we do that. The first thing we want to know, and Sterling and I have talked about this ad nauseum, and, and we're wondering what is the justification for hiring Nathaniel Hackett in the first place? Do you think it was just Aaron Rodgers bait gone wrong? Because they had something like 10 qualified candidates for a pretty lucrative job and they chose him. So what was the rationalization there on that hire? 
Well, I think you're right. I think Aaron Rodgers did have something to do with it. I think, I mean, as much as the Broncos may say otherwise, you know, you kind of get the vibe that they felt maybe for the better part of a year, because remember the 2021 NFL draft, that was the big rumor that dropped right before the draft started that night uh, way back when. So that rumor had been circulating for a while and it didn't seem like Aaron Rodgers was doing anything to like make anybody think differently. He kind of made it seem through his other channels that he wanted to be a Bronco and ultimately that didn't happen. Right. So I think there's a potential that that was part of the pitch, but I also think getting another quarterback has always been part of George Payton's plan. I don't think he had plan a and that's it. Like remember John always said, there is no plan B once upon a time infamously uh, with Peyton Manning. Well, I think there was a plan B this whole time. And I think we've seen that kind of come into place. Now, Nathaniel Hackett stylistically uh, just in terms of his, his demeanor, the way that he interacts with players, polar opposite of, of Vic Fangio. So you want to go have somebody that could come in and change the locker room, right? Well, Nathaniel Hackett can do that with or without Aaron Rodgers. The only problem is, is that you get into this situation where if things start going poorly as they did, you have a guy who's, you know, I hate to say it this way because I think Hackett is truly a good guy, but a lot of people say it's kind of like a camp counselor type of vibe, right? Where he's just a really, really nice guy that you, you look up to, you can be friends with, you can talk about your family, you can talk about your personal life. But when it comes to football, it, it, it just didn't work out for him in the Denver Broncos. So I think the justification was, hey, maybe you can bring Aaron Rodgers to the mile high city. And even if not, we can get you another QB. Let's see what you, you know, the offense that you've been running where Rodgers is back-to-back -back MVP, right? Let's see that offense with another QB that we can get in here. Unfortunately, I think one of the biggest things that, that derailed Hackett in Denver, I, I know he wanted to bring Adam Stenovich, who ended up getting promoted to OC in Green Bay. He wanted to bring him with him to Denver. That didn't happen. It started a snowball effect where you let go of Mike Munchak, the Hall of Fame offensive lineman, who was a great offensive line coach. You replace him with a first-time guy. I just think that, man, it, it was all sorts of different things that for the reason that it didn't work out. But the justification, I mean, you can't help but love Hackett when you hear him talk he's such a positive upbeat guy at the same time bringing that green bay offense to denver with a, a guy who's been a top 10 quarterback his whole career basically right russell wilson it seems on paper like it should have worked out unfortunately as we've seen it's way worse than anybody's worst case scenario are you shocked that he got canned so quick do you feel like he should have had more time or is this somewhat of a scapegoat situation Season's gone down. Uh, the drubbing to the Rams, who the Rams have had more issues than any team in the NFL, injuries, everything else. Was that more of a, we had to do something, heads have to roll if you get beat by the Rams that bad? Yeah, and that was something that the the new CEO, Greg Penner, who's part of the Walton Penner ownership group, like him and George Payton both brought that up multiple times in their press conference after firing Hackett. They talk about the fact that that Rams game was just kind of like, a tipping point, right? It was really an example of how overmatched Nathaniel Hackett was as a head coach. Cause like you said, the Rams have had all kinds of issues, but you got Sean McVay on the sideline coaching against Nathaniel Hackett and his old assistant is Euro Evero on the defensive side. And to be that overmatched when Baker Mayfield hasn't been running that offense very long. So you expect going in is Euro Evero. He's got to know the basic concepts that Sean McVay is going to run. He's got to know that Baker Mayfield is only going to be able to execute the basic concepts. And yet here they are just absolutely dominating, scoring every single possession and dominating defensively, creating turnovers. So it, it was an, 
Exhibit A of Nathaniel Hackett being overmatched as a head coach. The rumors kind of swirling around the London game midseason against the Jacksonville Jaguars that, hey, you lose that game in London. At that point, people were saying maybe he doesn't even get back on the team plane. Well, they won that game and it bought him some extra time. I think it's, yeah, it's pretty unprecedented to fire a guy in season, but the NFL has that new rule, right, where you can start the process of getting interviews going and getting coaches lined up or getting interviews lined up with two weeks remaining. So I think the Broncos kind of taking advantage of that a little bit, getting it out there to their candidates, prospective candidates that they have an opening and they're going to be aggressive. Speaking of heads will roll, GM George Patton, uh, he is the guy that's responsible for both Nathaniel Hackett, who had never called plays before, and despite, as you say, being an affable, likable coach, not exactly the most commanding leader of men. And he also brought in Russell Wilson. I believe that happened before Greg Penner and that ownership group purchased the team. I think they were involved with the extension, correct? But they were not involved in the trade. So if there's one person that's responsible for all of this mess, it is the general manager. Why does he still have a job? It's a great question, and I think that it's something that we're going to kind of see as the head coaching hiring process goes along. How safe is George Payton? Right now, it feels like he's very safe, and I think these two moves, you kind of look at them independently, right? If you're the Broncos ownership group, and I think even as Broncos fans looking at this in a level-headed way, you look at the Nathaniel Hackett hire as a swing to potentially get Aaron Rodgers and you bring in the complete wrong guy to lead your football team. I think that's borderline a fireable offense in itself. The Russell Wilson move, regardless of how bad things are gone, and I, I know that I don't speak for all of Broncos country when I say this, but to me, the trade for Russell Wilson was like taking a hack on a 3-0 count, right? Just you, you got the go-ahead from your, your third base coach to like, hey, take a big swing for the fences. And if worst case scenario, you got three, one count, right. Or, or you, you pop. I mean, the, the worst thing that could happen to you in that case is that you swing and miss or something like that. Or I, obviously you could get out in baseball. It's not a perfect analogy, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like you have the green light to go ahead and take that hack. And I think that what the Broncos allowed George Payton to do at the time is exactly what the team wanted him to do right he, he the everybody in broncos country clamoring for a quarterback clamoring for a big bold move at the position you're not in a, a place in the 2022 nfl draft to really make anything happen nor did anybody really love this quarterback class obviously we've seen already like malik willis already getting benched for josh dobbs so like it's it wasn't a good qb class you traded for russell wilson after missing out on aaron Rodgers. i think everybody would have agreed at the time or most everybody would have agreed at the time this is a good move and this is good process this is a, a pretty decent trade in terms of you're, you're giving up two ones and two twos and a few players that you you may miss in the in the short term but in the long term you got a top 10 qb right so i appreciate the process from george payton i certainly don't uh hold him in any sort of negative light for the russell wilson trade the extension before the season i can resonate with the the fans that are upset by that because Look, you paid a guy that has never played for your team before and you put the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he, frankly, put the weight of the world on his shoulders by coming in. We had the whole the let's ride thing. We had all this stuff about Russ. He's going to be the guy he's going to be. Remember, the Broncos were just a quarterback away. Right. And, and we all believe that because that's the, the roster has been strong. Vic Fangio had built a pretty disciplined group out there on the field, regardless of how well liked he and his staff were off the field. 
So I don't hold the Russell Wilson trade against George Payton. I think the process is good. I think the Nathaniel Hackett hire, that's a huge miss. And that's why George Payton is not leading the head coaching search, in my opinion. Uh, Greg Penner, the CEO and part of the ownership group, he's leading the head coaching search. George Payton will be consulting in that. But I think there's a, a clear reason why, right? Because you, like you said, you had an expansive list of candidates that you interviewed last year in the same type of situation. But you didn't interview Mike McDaniel. You didn't interview Brian Dable. You didn't interview a number of the best guys. Uh, Kevin O'Connell was a finalist. Matter of fact, the Broncos have one of his good buddies in the front office uh, who played college ball with him. So uh, you just look at all these situations and you're like, you didn't go with maybe your gut. You maybe went with a, the guy that you thought could bring you Rodgers and that's come back to burn you. That's why George Payton, I think he's not getting fired. He's taking a step back in terms of his involvement in this next head coaching search, which I think is more than fair. But roster wise, I think he's done really well. Well, with Pinner, who's going to be leading this search, can they get a marquee head coach? I don't think Sean Payton's going to be clamoring to come here. That's why he left New Orleans. I, I don't understand if there's going to be a marquee head coach who sees Denver and says, yes, this is where I'm staking my name, unless they truthfully believe that Russell Wilson is just having this one bad season and he can bounce back. Dan who do you Quinn, see? maybe? Uh, yeah, who, who do you see? So uh, to me, and I think it starts with, uh, I think it starts with the dollar signs, right? I, that's what it's all about. The Broncos ownership group just spent 4.65 billion. They invested another hundred million in future stadium upgrades. They invested a hundred K to send the Colorado school of mind students out to their championship game to go watch and, and just be part of that. So they're willing to spend a bunch of money. They signed off on the Russell Wilson deal, 124 million fully guaranteed 161 million in the next few years. If he's on the roster in a couple years, obviously. So I think here's the sell to a potential head coach. Number one, the Denver job is one out of 32 in the NFL, in the world. That's There's only 32 of these jobs in the world. That's one sell. Number two, and you guys know this, I think we can say this for at least these two fan bases in the AFC West, and maybe the, the Raiders included as well, but I think the Broncos have one of the best fan bases in the NFL. Not necessarily fair weather, but especially when everything's going well. That's a tough place for anybody to go in and play, and historically has been. I think that you're going to have an ownership group that's willing to be aggressive, give you every resource as possible and look these head coach candidates that are coming in whether it's the big names like a Jim Harbaugh or Sean Payton or what have you they're not coming into a great situation in terms of you want to take over the Colts and take a quarterback in the top 10 great everybody's well well in advance of looking forward to that 2024 class with Caleb Williams and Drake May as being way better so are you gonna kind of say okay this season we could start building with a CJ Stroud or we could start building with a Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or whomever or we could trade for a Derek Carr or something like that these are the options on the table right for as far as a head coach and a quarterback being tied together so but, but wouldn't the expectations be less in Indy for example the AFC South is abysmal you win eight games you might yeah. make the playoffs AFC West, you got to yeah. play against Patrick twice a year. You got to play against right. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, a talented but always underperforming team twice a year. The Raiders look horrendous. They might be for a while now, especially if Derek Carr is going to be sent elsewhere. I just have a, a tough time seeing any head coach who is highly sought after saying that's the job because there might be a decent amount of head coach openings this offseason. 
Right, and that's th- those are fair points, and I think a lot of people were saying the same thing about the quarterback situation in Denver a year ago. They're saying, why would anybody want to come be a starting quarterback for the Broncos? you got to go toe-to-toe with Mahomes and Herbert and Carr every year. You, at best, you're going to be the third-best quarterback in the division. And then Russell Wilson, who had a no-trade clause, signed off on the deal. Now, obviously, we've seen things have not gone well on the field, but I think the principle of the matter is you got one of the most desirable guys on the market to sign off on a trade when he could have chosen to go anywhere, anywhere else, really. So I think that that's something to me that for head coaches, I think these guys are competitive. I don't think necessarily coaching against a Mahomes is going to make anybody not want to coach in the AFC West. Although as we've seen, like with, with Tom Brady going to the bucks, like that's a favorable football situation. So maybe you do see some of these head coaches look elsewhere for more favorable situation. And so I don't know, there's lots of connections that the Broncos have to people like, like Harbaugh from the the people that they have in the front office that, that, you know, have ties to Stanford, things like that. I'm not saying the Broncos are going to hire Harbaugh, but I think that there's significant voices in that ownership group. And like Peyton Manning has a big voice in Denver still. You, you just never know. But I think I, I completely agree with you. You look at this situation from the outside looking in and you say, well, why would anybody want to go coaching that gauntlet against Mahomes and Herbert? Now, that now both guys have made the playoffs. Herbert's going to be in the playoffs this year. He's taking that step forward. And I think that's fair. But I don't think this job is going to be tied to fixing Russell Wilson, which I think is what people make this view as, uh, well, this is going to be a really unattractive, unappealing job because you, you're hitched to Russell Wilson. I don't think that's going to be the case, to be honest with you. I think the ownership group and, and the, the search committee here is going to let these coach candidates know, hey, if you can fix Russ, great. If not, you have 2024 and beyond to build this thing your way. But we're financially strapped to Russ right now. Come in, work with Russ for a year. If Russ rebounds, you look like an absolute you know, beast of a head coach. If not, we this was the plan all along. And everybody's already said, Russ is cooked. Russ is done. So there's really, to me, I don't think there's any downside to taking this risk. You have a top five defense. Skill players are very good in Denver when healthy, which is hard to come by these days, it seems like. But at the same time, on paper, I think this is a good roster. I think getting assuming this is an anomaly year for Russ, which I I kind of have to you kind of have to believe that right if you're the Broncos, but new head coach doesn't necessarily have to. So I think all that to say it, it's not an unattractive job, in my opinion, even if even if I you know pull off the Broncos hat and pull down the helmet from behind me. I don't think it's an unattractive job if you look at it objectively. I think, obviously, these other jobs, like you said, a little bit less risk attached, a little bit more uh, you can kind of put your stamp on things quickly. But I don't think Denver is a bad job at all. You mentioned Greg Penner basically coming out in his press conference and saying this next coach is not necessarily going to be tethered to the fate of Russell Wilson. Uh, I think that was smart tactically. But – For the sake of an intellectual exercise, let's just talk about salvaging Russell Wilson. From outside looking in, it seems like there's been a lack of accountability and that in Seattle, the situation was let Russ cook, but in Denver, he's cooking too much. And it it appears that Pete Carroll was doing the right thing to rein him in and to have some boundaries, uh, both from a leadership perspective and a a play calling perspective with this player, do you think bringing in in a strong personality in terms of a coach and then maybe in terms of a quarterback, not an official quarterback 
uh, competition, but maybe an unofficial one. You bring in Jacoby Brissett, who has done really an admirable job of hand handling a difficult situation in Cleveland, right? And is beloved by his, his locker room there and across the league, really. Or someone like Andy Dalton. Do you bring another quarterback in to kind of keep Russell in check? I think yes to both. I think you bring in a strong personality, somebody that Russ has to answer to every day. Obviously, not that he doesn't have that, but I think with the the dynamic that I've talked about on Locked On Broncos throughout the season, what it kind of feels like from the outside, I don't know this for a fact, what it kind of feels like, and we kind of saw this when Mike Purcell screamed at Russell Wilson on the sideline, the, the video that went kind of viral um, in the football world, you, you don't necessarily know, is Nathaniel Hackett willing to say the hard things to Russell Wilson? Or is it just like a kind of like, a, okay, if I, I mentioned it once, I got I, I to gotta step back because Russell's the guy, you know, he's the $245 million guy. He's the man here. He's the one leading the charge, which I think from the outside looking in, it, it kind of appears that he has been this whole time. He organized the offseason workouts with his guys in San Diego. He's doing the he's got the office at the facility, you know, which I think those can be very good things when it results in winning. And it's like Jerry Judy said on Twitter, like the Broncos are losing right now. So, of course, this stuff is all getting blown up. But I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. If you have a coach that can rein some of this in and really just bring it back to, OK, we have to we have to pull back in this area or we have to stop doing this on, on game days or, or you have to you know work within these certain parameters. I think th those are absolutely things that Russell Wilson needs to be successful, which is why I think a lot of Broncos fans really want a guy like Frank Reich in the building. You know, somebody who's worked with a lot of different quarterbacks throughout his years, somebody who's, you know, he's been with Peyton Manning quite a bit and, and done a lot of different great things at the NFL level. Somebody that really could work well with Russell Wilson. I think it's going to take a great marriage between two coaches. The coach has to be the guy that Russell answers to, right? It's not the the Russell Wilson offense. There were some people out there that thought, remember the debacle week one against Seattle late in the game with game management. Some people think that it was Russ calling the game at that point. Like he's controlling game management. So Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, he, he was not, I don't know that he was necessarily a yes man. Again, I can't speak directly. I'm not in the, the building every single day. But it just seems the perception from the outside looking in like that is what the Broncos need. And to the quarterback question, 100%. The Broncos need a better contingency plan at QB. Russell's got a hamstring injury. Okay, you can throw Jacoby Brissett in the game. Russell's got a torn lat. Okay, we can actually play Jacoby Brissett and not say oh, we're tanking with Brett Rippon out there because all due respect to Brett Rippon, it's not like you're going to have him go out there and try to get you into the the postseason, right? So I think a better contingency plan, somebody to actually push Russ, which he hasn't had a ton of that throughout his career, has he? Not a lot of big name backups for Russell Wilson. So I think both of those things are very necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, throw more money at a at a backup quarterback. That's a solution. I, I just don't see how throwing <laughs> more money at, at a major issue is going to solve anything. No one's trading for Russell Wilson. No, you can't cut him for realistically what three seasons at least. At least three seasons. The best Maybe hope two. is the best hope is to legitimately try and get a young quarterback. Re hear me out. A Zach Wilson, you can get for nothing. They should have kept Drew Locke because Drew Locke, I think, could have at least pushed and you would give some fan base hope with a young uh, gunslinger out there. But to me, the reason why Russell Wilson, I don't see him bouncing back, and it's a little off topic here, is he's not scrambling anymore. I noticed that early on in the season, if he's not going to extend plays with his legs, if he's not going to 
put himself in harm's way. He's not the same guy. The deep ball is still nice. I'm not saying he doesn't throw a, a lovely deep ball still, that moon ball, whatever he calls it. It's great. But if you're not going to extend plays, if you're not using your legs, I'm not saying he doesn't care, but it almost gives a, well, I got my money. I'm not getting hurt. From an outsider's perspective, I see a little bit of that. And ironically, he's been hurt a lot this year, yeah. right? <laughs> um, he's got, he had the concussion sure. against Kansas City. Like I mentioned, he had the hamstring issue, had the torn lat that he was playing through. I don't know what else he's been dealing with, but I think that health-wise, it's been a problematic year. And I think it is, has been since very early on. And that's the reason why we haven't been seeing a lot of the scrambling and having to work more from the pocket because I think Russ has been playing with, you know, an injury. And I don't know, I don't necessarily know exactly how long, but I know he did have a hamstring that kept him out uh, for a game at one point and he had to miss some time there. So, and that, that was when he had made the comment about the Wolverine blood type of stuff. But I think you're right about drafting somebody or bringing in a young guy, which I like that idea because I think that you go into next season, assuming that you have three quarterbacks on the roster, one guy that you think could be a, a good fail safe, another guy that you feel like you could actually develop because look, this is heading towards a, the way that Russell Wilson played in 2022, you can't bank on him necessarily being great in 2023, right? You can't you can't actively go out there and build around, hey, Russell's going to be fine. It's no big deal, right? It was just one bad season. No, you can you could believe that it was an anomaly or an outlier, but you also have to go out and make a contingency plan. So whether that's an upside guy, like you mentioned, a Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold is a free agent. Actually, there's quite a few intriguing free agents that you might be able to get on a budget friendly, you know, deal. There's a number of quarterbacks in this draft that could be worth taking a, a flyer on in the middle rounds or the late rounds just to say, hey, we want to develop you. The Broncos have a guy, Jarrett Guarantano, that they signed to a two-year deal to bring him back for next offseason to see what he can do. So I, and I think there's different contingencies that you could put in place to have some upside there in case Russell does falter again. Obviously, you're hoping and banking on him not you know, repeating this kind of a performance or staying fully healthy. But absolutely, he's not been extending plays. People in Broncos country have been clamoring all year for Russ to run more. Russ, Russ needs to get outside of the pocket. Where's the play-action boot? We haven't seen any of that. We haven't seen the Broncos really establish any sort of running game at all. So all that to say, I, I think you're absolutely right. Do you want a smart lock, a 2K cam and doorbell all in one? Now you can with Eufy. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330. Easy to install. All you need is just a Phillips screwdriver. So easy that even I, yes, I figured out how to install it. It's a keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys, which, by the way, I didn't even have a key to my front door. Uh, yeah, I had to go through the garage, so I would be SOL if something were to happen, but not anymore with Eufy. It's keyless. You have no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge monthly fees. Your recording is locally and never have to pay for storage, and the customer service is top-notch now. Let's be real. I didn't have to use it. I figured out how to use that Phillips screwdriver to install. Trust me, guys. I, I, I'm not lying to you. It is extremely easy. But if you have issues with your Eufy or installation, be rest assured Eufy's on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty. If you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do, check out the Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Final question for you. We actually have a game this weekend, so how do you expect the Broncos to perform this Sunday? Sometimes after a coach gets fired, the troops rally, and sometimes the team collapses. Which version do you think we'll see Sunday? I'm very, very interested to find out. You don't get more thrown into the fire than this, do you? Go to Kansas City for your first game as an interim head coach with a banged-up roster. I think... Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. You know, the Broncos have p- mostly played in one-score games all year. It's been a couple of blowouts, you know, with the Rams game being one of them. And so I think that I don't know what to expect. I, I have no idea. I have no idea how they're going to respond. The, Jerry Rosberg at the podium seems like a really smart guy, obviously a veteran coach. So I think definitely it's going to be a competitive output from the Broncos like even we saw the last time these two teams played you get down 27 nothing you climb back into the game but I I think the Broncos are going to come out and play hard you know they're going to rally I don't necessarily expect them to win I I think that obviously you know I'd be lying to myself if I said oh yeah Broncos are going to go out there and win a game on Sunday the the Chiefs are playing for a number one seed in the AFC at home and the Broncos are a way worse team right now but like you said you never know when the interim that always seems to happen at least once like the rally around the interim coach game so I mean heck it would be awesome to see the Broncos end the streak but at the same time as you guys know the Chiefs are way healthier at this point they have so much more to play for it's going to be interesting though I do think the Broncos are going to be competitive I think the defense is going to be very uh, upset about the way that they played against the Rams I think they're going to come out and play very hard against the Kansas City Chiefs We'll see what what Russell Wilson does really makes all the difference in this game, I think, for the Broncos output. We did see Jeff Saturday. That led Colts team beat the Raiders. The only issue for for Denver, they're not playing the Raiders. This is the Kansas City Chiefs who came off their best defensive performance all season against Seattle. For your sake, I hope it's a game where they come out energized, enthusiastic, and play hard. I I just can't see it. Maybe I'm, I'm I'm blinded by being the Chiefs guy here, but they're not playing for anything. I don't think they believe that this interim head coach is going to be the head coach next year. Uh, a lot of these guys, they're, they're not trying to get hurt before they either go into free agency. They, 
enough on tape at this point, right? Some of those guys in Houston, those guys are literally playing for jobs. The Denver defense, most of those guys, they're playing either in Denver or another team next year. I just don't see anything that Denver's playing for. I hope for your sake, they come out and give us a game. I just, I don't see it with the Chiefs' ability against Seattle to get pressure with four. Denver's O-line's not ideal. Um, We'll see. We'll see. It'll be fun as always. (laughs) Yeah, it will be. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. We really appreciate it. You can find him at Sarah Bettinger on Twitter and his work at our sister site, Predominantly Orange. Uh, Good luck. And we will uh, see you guys at Arrowhead, I guess. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Now we can talk more about the Chiefs. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Thank you guys for talking and being respectful in the chat. I appreciate that, guys. Uh, That was fun, though, getting a nice in-depth look at one of the most, if not the most dysfunctional franchises in the NFL. Uh, Sarah did a great job there. It was great having him on. Uh, But now let's get into the Chiefs. What do you say, Adam? Yes. Before we do, though, guys, please do us a favor and hit like on this video and subscribe to the channel. If you're digging what we're doing, that would really be helpful to us. Uh, Let's get into Hot Take Kingdom. Let's do it, baby. Adam's going to give us something that's a hot take. Either I join him or I say nay. You guys in the comments will have a poll. You can vote there. Adam, what do you have this week? This is a fun one. The Chiefs should trade for star left tackle Laramie Tunsil this offseason. Welcome to Hot Take Kingdom. Tunsil is PFF's top-rated pass blocker on the season among all offensive linemen, every single one of them. His grade is 91.8, the highest grade by almost two points. Just one thing to look at, but that's significant. He's been an elite pass blocker for really almost since 2016 when he came into the league, kind of under dubious circumstances, let's just say. But he's been pretty much a model citizen since then, and he's having arguably his best season. He's only allowed 12 pressures and one sack, and that's despite not having great surrounding talent, as you pointed out a few moments ago with the Houston Texans, probably the least talent-rich roster in the entire league. There's definitely an argument for that right? He's still only 28. That's for some positions. That's not young. If he's a running back, that's old for a tackle that is relatively young. And you think about that, you project what that could look like. He could be Patrick Mahomes blind side protector for the next five years. That would be a pretty sweet arrangement. Tunsil has said, this is why this is all newsworthy. He said he wants to reset the market and become the highest paid tackle. And unlike Orlando Brown Jr., his play has warranted that conversation. He only has one year and $23 million left on his deal. And I think the Texans starting this rebuild and picking up the pieces after Bill O'Brien, after uh, the Deshaun Watson mess that they had to clean up, and really they have to be accountable for, but they're going to want to acquire draft capital and invest in very young players And I don't think by the time uh, they turn this ship around, Laramie Tunsil will still be in his prime. The Chiefs also have some extra picks to get this done. And in my opinion, why spend 20 million franchising Orlando Brown Jr. again when you can spend a little bit more and get the best pass blocker in football? 
especially next year, you can probably get that cap hit lower than what Orlando Brown would cost with some, you know, funny money math. Uh, Joe Tooney is an elite pass blocker. And I think dropping in Tunsil next to him, next to him and Creed Humphrey, that's just really exciting. It would, it would give the chiefs the league's best line and could be reminiscent of the Willie Rofe, Will Shields, Brian Waters, uh, you know, those lines that just dominated the league and Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson. I, I think they still have wide open running lanes to this date. Uh, and I want you guys to picture this. Imagine the Chiefs, the draft is in Kansas City. Imagine them introducing Laramie Tunsil as Patrick Mahomes' blindside uh, protector. As, as the new left tackle, what, what kind of a splash would that be on draft night in Kansas City? I think it would definitely be more exciting than any late, round, late first round pick, in my opinion. Uh, that's really the case. It's pretty short and sweet. I, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And I think people hear that name and they think of the gas mask, but he is, he's a badass. He's a tremendous tackle. He's been durable. He's been dominant. Uh, he's not as good of a run blocker. I will admit that, but that doesn't really matter in this system. So Sterling, I'm going to let you take the floor. I've rambled for long enough. Are you coming in the castle or are you staying outside? Dude, I could not jump into the castle quicker. This is yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. If you're going to have to pay a left tackle elite money anyways, let's say Orlando Brown Jr. wants 20 mil a season. And that's probably assuming that's going to be the low end for Orlando Brown Jr. Yep. The highest paid, if you're going to reset the market, uh, Trent Williams gets 23, a little over 23 million per year. Let's just say 24. 4 million per year for an elite left tackle, the best pass blocker at left tackle in the NFL, not run blocker, like you mentioned. Trent Williams probably holds claim to that one. Oh, yeah. But in this offense... What do you need? A pass protector. I don't give a shit about how great you are at run blocking. What the Chiefs need to protect Patrick, the half billion dollar investment, is pass blocking. Laramie Tunsil, please come to Kansas City. I don't know what you'd have to give up to acquire him as far as to make sure you can get him, not let him hit free agency, all of that. I don't care. You get Laramie Tunsil. You can find a way to make it work. I prefer Laramie Tunsil. Uh, like if this is the, the decision where it's Laramie Tunsil in the long run compared to Tyreek Hill, give me the left tackle. Mahomes can make Judas Smith-Schuster a great wide receiver two look like a wide receiver one. Judas Smith-Schuster can make uh, wide receiver threes and fours look like wide receiver twos. The offense is humming. The only question mark is can he stay upright? Laramie Tunsil keeps Mahomes upright. And as you've seen in the draft, you can find great receivers in the second round, in the third round. The Steelers have been making a living off doing this for a long, long time now. They're not drafting first-round receivers, and they're, they're producing all pros on, on the regular, uh, or at least above-average receivers. So I think that he probably cost, what do you think, first and a third? Maybe. I don't know if you just send Orlando Brown Jr. there as well. I don't know if that even gives you any value because you have to pay Orlando Brown Jr., right? So that's obviously an issue there. I don't care how it happens. Make it happen. You're not drafting Laramie Tunsil at 32. Uh, yeah, that's the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. That's what I'm going to say. So you're not getting a Laramie Tunsil in the back end of the draft. He is so incredibly talented at his age. That's almost your prime for left tackles. 
if you look at the best left tackles in the NFL, Trent Williams, 34, David Bakatari, he's obviously getting older. He's 31. Ronnie Staley at 28. Uh, Jake Matthews is 30. He's not one of the best. Uh, Cam Robinson for the Jaguars is really solid. 27 uh, going down. Andrew um, Thomas, the young kid uh, yeah, from New yeah. York. Yeah. Um, he, he's the young guy. He, he's one of the outliers there. Uh, Jordan, I, the, I butcher his name every single time for the Eagles. He's uh, 25. He's one of the younger guys here. Uh, Armstead, Armstead for the Dolphins is 31. Just a lot of these guys really hit their prime at – this age he's not too old he can be serviceable or he can be elite for what four plus seasons and serviceable for a couple more come on bring laramie Tunsil to kansas city protect that half billy we are partying in the castle tonight uh and this isn't exactly relevant to this week but when you are the kansas city chiefs you can't only see what's four inches in front of your face we are playing chess. We are trying to build a dynasty. We have to think 17 moves ahead. And I think Veach is thinking ahead. And franchising, uh, giving Orlando Brown the franchise tag bought him more time to make this decision. I am not in love with this draft ca- class when it comes to tackles. The free agent market, I don't think you're going to find anybody like him. The Trent Williams hitting the market was an anomaly. Guys like that normally do not hit the market. I don't know if it was because of his age or because of his health history or what. He did not want to play in Washington anymore. They did not do him any good there. They, they were not on the same page. There was a couple of issues going on. Not he get that, traded to San Francisco for a season, and then he hit free agency, I believe. It, whatever it was, it, it was a horrible situation it that was. he wanted to leave. I think it came down to he was just not going to play any any longer for Washington. It was almost an ultimatum. Can yes. you blame him? I mean, look at Daniel Snyder and that the, the controversy, the subpar play. I would want nothing to do with the Commanders franchise. I don't blame him. But that's, well, and that's the same thing with Laramie Tunsil. It doesn't make sense for Houston to re-sign a guy when there's so many issues. You need to figure out so many other positions. Give yourself the best chance at landing a top-end quarterback you get a first-round draft pick, see if you can package to, to move up in the draft, although you might probably get 1-1 one, one any, any way, so it won't matter that much. But give yourself a chance. Uh, it makes sense for Houston to try and get a lot for Laramie Tunsil because there's going to be a lot given up to acquire him. And similar to the Tyreek Hill deal for us, it's not just the draft capital that comes back. It's that you can – that $25 million that Laramie Tunsil is going to cost, you can spread that out across the roster and, and – uh, not have so many holes. I mean, they have more holes than any team in the league. And I think they're going to be focused on plugging as many as they can this off season. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I am all in Adam. I 1000% am with you. Love it. Love it. Let's move on to a new segment. And this is, I think this is going to be fun. It's time to start looking ahead to the playoffs. We've clenched. Some other teams have clenched. We don't know if we're going to be the one seed. Fingers crossed. Go Bengals. It, it makes me like want to gag to say that. But oh, we, dude. I said who day? Who? Oh, don't, who don't, day? don't do it. It, 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 it hurts. Do it. it hurts. Like you get kicked in the stones. I hate mm. it. I hate it. But oh. we need it. We need them to win. We really do. So who knows if we'll be one. I, I almost think it's, it's certain that at worst we'll be two. But you really want that one seed. 
Uh, and what we're going to do here is the AFC playoff scary index. We're going to rank these potential AFC playoff opponents from least scary to most scary. And we have nine teams. So Bengals, Bills, Jaguars, Chargers, Ravens, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets, and Titans. Titans. And I, I don't know. I guess <laughs> we, we, we can go ahead and cross the Titans out. Well, of here, hey, okay? last night didn't matter. All they have to do is beat the Jags. And I think the Jags look a lot better than them. But that, that franchise, I'm, hey, one game, Mike Rabel against the Jags. It's no, it's, 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 it's against Kansas City. Okay. Least scary to most scary. They're the least scary team. They're not good defensively outside of, what, three really solid players. Their offense is cheeks. They have no quarterback. Good job by Dobbs, by the way. He, he filled in nicely, but they're just not good. That's that's not a good team. They're the least scary agreement. team. They, they are an yeah. oozing staff infection. They've lost a half dozen games in a row. They just don't have anything going for them. Uh, much love to Derrick Henry. Great player. But that roster is looking pretty thin at this point in the season. Lots of uh, lots of injuries. Their secondary is totally depleted. They lost their uh, left tackle, I believe. So let's let's uh, put the Titans as the least scary team. I, I will throw two more teams in here, just as far as seven Ooh. and eight, because they're set. They're seven A, seven B. Jets and Patriots. Um, Jets have a great defense, legitimately good. Mike White against Mahomes, really, really, Mike White against Mahomes. They have some good receivers. They they're do. not a horrendous team, but they're another year or two away from really making noise. If they got Derek Carr, it's weird saying if they got Derek Carr, they'd be a legitimate 10, 11. Or Jimmy G, given, given the connection yeah, to Robert I don't, think Jimmy, I don't think Jimmy G's any good. I think Derek Carr is much better, in my opinion. I think we, we've seen what Brock Purdy has done. We've seen what Nick Mullins has done in a San Fran offense at quarterback. DJ Beathard, it's, it's yeah. that Shanny system, right? Jimmy G ain't doing nothing. It's not him. That's the system. So I'll go 7A, 7B, 7 and 8 with Jets and Patriots. Okay. I think I'm in agreement with you, but the Dolphins a lot hinges on the health of Tua. If he's in there, they become easily more scary than those two teams. But if he is not playing in the playoffs, that Jets defense is kind of scary. Throw Sauce. him in there too. We'll, we'll go okay, six, we'll seven, eight. We'll, we'll go that whole division, pal. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the Jets defense because Quinnen Williams is a monster in the middle at defensive tackle. Sauce Gardner looks like he might be the next great lockdown corner in the NFL, maybe following in that line of, of uh, Revis and Ramsey and those type of guys. I think he is that level of a player. So that is a very, very good defense on all levels and coached by a great defensive mind. Uh, the problem with the Jets is to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you need to be capable of putting up 30. And I just don't see it. And so that that's the same with the Patriots. And while the Dolphins are a little bit more scary to me, Tyreek Hill can take, and Jalen Waddell, for that matter, can take it to the house at any time. So I do think that's a team, maybe even with Teddy Bridgewater, that theoretically could put up some points. So I'm going to have the Dolphins as the next yeah. least scary. Least We're in agreement. So Dolphins, Patriots, Jets, and Titans, they are out. That leaves Bengals, Bills, Jags, Chargers, and Ravens. 
It's got to be the Ravens, right? With yeah, what's going God. on with Lamar? It has to be the Ravens. There's no wide receivers on that team either way. Um, Mark Andrews is a talented player, but hey, that this team is, is let's not, dysfunctional. DeMarcus Robinson slander. Let's not do that to our guy. Yeah, I'll go with the Ravens next in that list. Least scary. Go backwards on that uh, DeMarcus Robinson slander. <laughs> so we both have the Ravens at five. I will uh, say this, though. Lamar Jackson is a scary dude. And they have a great coach. So it, it, they're not a fun team to play, but they have matched up very poorly with the Chiefs over the years. So I'm not, I don't fear them. Yeah. Uh, so that leaves Bengals, Bills, Jags, Chargers. Jags. Oh, man. You're, drink, go, you're drinking that Trevor Lawrence Kool Aid, huh? I'll go Jags. I've, I've been a massive fan of Doug Peterson. Yeah, I, I, I've been on record a lot saying Doug Peterson was unfairly treated in Philly, but also you can't fault the Eagles because Nick Sirianni's done a great job. But Doug Peterson was the perfect guy, the perfect head coach to take over the dysfunction that was left in the wake of Urban Meyer. Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson is doing a great job with a young, talented, right? The talent was never questioned with, with Trevor Lawrence, but it was how can you reach Trevor Lawrence? Peterson's reaching Trevor Lawrence. There are some decent wide receivers. As much as I've ripped on the Christian Kirk signing, Christian Kirk's been a bona fide elite wide receiver two, if not a back end wide receiver one. He might even be a mid wide receiver wide receiver one this season. He's been very very good. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa. Evan Ingram has been outstanding in recent weeks. Zay Jones, Zay Jones, and Travis Etienne—they're actually using correctly. Jags aren't bad, but I, I think they're just behind, just behind the Chargers. The reason I had to think about it is Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like a generational talent. And if you had to rank offensive play callers, you don't want to see in the playoffs. Doug Peterson has to be in the top five. He's going to throw some things at you that you don't, you don't want to see. So that's why they're a little bit scary to me, but I agree with you. The chargers, the fact that Justin Herbert is a more proven commodity than Trevor Lawrence and they have some real dudes. I mean, Derwin James is one of the better players in the league. They might get Bosa back. They might get Rayshon Slater. This is a good team. Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams, they seem to be gelling at the right time, and they always play the Chiefs tough. Both of the games this year have come down to three points. And then the last game of, of the previous season, we all remember the walk-off Travis Kelsey catch and, and ramble that uh, – that won the game in, in, in OT. So they always play us tough. We also remember Mike Williams. Uh, Why does Mike Williams turn into God. Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, every time against Kansas City and any other team, he's Man. just like, yeah, I'm a wide receiver too. Against the Chiefs, he is an all-timer. It makes zero sense. You don't know if he's going to go off for 150 yards or catch one ball and go in the medical, the blue medical tent, right? He is uh, not the most durable guy, but he is a Chiefs killer to be sure. I don't want to see those guys. My preference would be have the Chargers play the Bills and the Bengals in, in, in the first round. Like, let's have, let's have these other quarterbacks, these other like great franchise quarterbacks cannibalize each other. And hopefully the Chiefs only have to play Burrow or only have to play Allen, only have to see one of those guys in the AFC Championship. That would be preferable to me. So now we have the big discussion. Bengals or Bills? And I, I, I go back and forth on this. 
I'm going to put the Bills at two, and here's why. Josh Allen, to me, still looks banged up. That elbow injury, he's not played the same since then. They're also not great running the football, although I will say that's how they beat Kansas City when they played earlier this year. Uh, they, they got Devin Singletary going. They were able to get yards early and on first and second down. Um, but I don't think that continues. Without Von Miller, that pass rush is not the same. And I will also point out Tredavious White, him being back from injury, you'd think would be a massive boost to the secondary. Tredavious White does not look the same. No, nope. he doesn't. He, he still looks like he's re- recovering. And, and of course he's going to. Uh, the Bills are too. They're, they're just, they're banged up at some key positions, quarterback, edge rusher, and corner. That's enough to put them at two for me. Angry Drunken German says, without Vaughn, the Bills don't scare me. They still scare me. They still scare me. But you make a good point. Vaughn Miller was the difference. He basically single-handedly delivered that first win uh, during the first matchup in October to the Bills. It was a very close game, and I thought he was the difference. And if they still had him, they would be one. But unfortunately, they gambled on a 33-year-old off-injured uh, edge, and they threw a lot of money at him. They went all in, and it kind of backfired. And mm. I... You know, it didn't backfire. I, I think it was the right move at the time. I, I think because we have the hindsight, we have the ability to look back and say, "Well, if Von Miller's going to get injured, yes, he's older, but Von Miller had had been coming off a great season uh, with the Rams." I don't think it was a bad decision because the the Bills did want to go all in. That's what you do when you go all in. You sign these veteran players, even if they're a little older. It, it just didn't work out. It, I, I, injuries are, are a little finicky. He wasn't necessarily, I would say, an injury prone guy. But I do want to point out that the Chiefs have taken the long view. And when you see Chandler Jones for the Raiders getting hurt and Von Miller getting hurt and J.C. Jackson and Lael Collins, the the older, he's about 30, the the right tackle for the Bengals, you you have to applaud Veach for saying, we are thinking 10-year window, not two-year window. Let these other teams go all in. And then what happens if Von Miller is never the same again? the bills might slam their own super bowl window shut on themselves so they could get out after three years they have two more years left they might be able to get out sooner than that it was like a five or six year contract but there was a lot of funny money funny money at the end it was more of a three-year deal from what i recall when i originally uh, looked at that contract because of the elbow and because of the way the Bengals play us Josh Allen leads the league in turnover-worthy plays. I just think something is a little bit off about that guy this year. It's the elbow. And yeah, I, it probably is the elbow. It, chaotic Josh is kind of coming coming back. I don't know if you can blame his sort of erratic decision-making all on the elbow. Maybe some of that is Brian Dable going to New York, who has been excellent there um, as their new head coach. So I think the Bengals are just a steadier team. I, I like their defense almost as much, but offense is more important. And I really like the way Joe Burrow plays. I just don't see him shooting himself in the foot. And I can see Josh Allen shooting himself in the foot. Yeah, that's, that's the difference. The, that's, that's been the key. You're right. And that's a very good point to make. Josh Allen can occasionally make those backbreakers. Joe Burrow typically has not. Uh, the wide receiving core, 
of Cincinnati is much, much tougher. Uh, their offensive line has been improved. I don't think it's necessarily been as good as they would have hoped on the revamp, right? But it's right. been better, especially as the season's gone on. Trey Hendrickson, good for him playing through was a broken hand. What a psycho. But I do think that slows him down a little bit. I will point out, Kansas City looking pretty damn healthy heading into the playoffs. Knock, Knock on, on wood. McCole Hardman just came out. He uh, is not ready. And, of course, I did that in my dog's barking because that's on me because I'm an idiot. I'm a buffoon. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bailey. That was me. I'm the idiot. Um, my bad. Yeah, that's, all, that's on me. But McCole Hardman's going to potentially miss the rest of the season. We don't know. Uh, he has to be back on the roster by a certain date. And Andy Reid came out and said that he's not ready. Um, so that's something to monitor, at least for Kansas City. That Kadarius Tony pickup is looking crucial. Yeah. And also, I will say this. Cincinnati's beat Kansas City three times. I am a fan of how many times can that go on before just flipping in the coin? Because these are two very evenly matched teams. They are. I know that Cincinnati Bengals have had the Chiefs numbers. I'll give you that. But four times in just over a year, I, I have a little trouble believing that. Mahomes, I don't think, would let that happen. We obviously didn't think it was going to happen three times in a row, and it did. But I do think there's a little something to that, that eventually you can't have everything go your way. Cincinnati's had a lot of things go their way in these matchups. I agree with you. And I think Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, has thrown some stuff at Patrick Mahomes that has sort of caught him and Andy Reid off guard. The more you play, especially in a short time frame, the less you're able to do that. I think the Chiefs uh, played pretty well last time. They played pretty well almost every time. I mean, that first game... Uh, during the regular season last year, they really had no business uh, losing that one. Uh, I, I kind of blame that one on, on Spags personally, but that's, uh, that's another uh, story altogether. So we're in agreement here. The Bengals are weird. the, yeah, that, that we're, we're just agreeing a little too much today, but we think the Bengals are the scariest team. I think even if you throw in the NFC, I am more scared of Joe Burrow than Jalen Hurts and co. Mm, no, I, I would say a healthy oh, really? Eagles team. Oh yeah. That, that the rest of that team is just absolutely elite. Darius Slay has, and Bradbury, that secondary has been great. Their offensive line is the best in the NFL. Uh, but Lane Johnson, you know, he's. Sure, that's huge loss, huge it loss. Is. But, uh, just roster construction and mobile quarterbacks at times have given Kansas City issues. Jalen Hurts' ability to move. That would give me the Eagles over the Bengals as far as which team is scarier. But you know what? The Chiefs are looking good. They're starting to click. If this defense continues the next two weeks, I know they're not playing great competition. I understand that. But if they click and we're not seeing a lot of missed tackles like we saw against Seattle, I'd be very, very enthused. That's what it's going to come down to is can this defense hold up? Can they not give up the big plays? Can they not uh, miss tackles? If that continues with this young with this young group that should be gelling about now, maybe they had their, their freshman wall. Keep going. Keep going. Hey, Justin Reed said it. There are no more rookies in the roster. The young bucks are coming into their own at the right time. Uh, let's hope they can continue that trend. They looked great against Seattle, I thought, especially the secondary. Those, those rookies back there in the secondary, they can tackle their asses off. Let's get into KC stock market, pump or dump. I will give you this, Adam. This has become one of my favorite games. I'm very, this is the, uh, the brainchild of Adam Best. So you can thank Adam for pump or dump. The first one is the Chiefs should make 
CEH a healthy scratch for the playoff games, even if he is 100% healthy? Pump or dump for both you and the chat? Oh, shit. Um, that's a really good question. Really good question. I wouldn't say healthy scratch, so I think I'm going to dump because I think you'd be the third back because they always have three backs healthy, right? On the, on the right. active roster. So he'd be the, I don't think he gets snaps. I don't think he plays, but I think he would take over from Ronald Jones. It would be the McKinnon show, the Isaiah Pacheco show and Clyde would just be there. Um, I, I think Ronald Jones would be the odd man out. And I don't think Melvin Gordon's gonna, gonna be sniffing it unless Melvin Gordon decides to be a healthy call up for this game against the Broncos. <laughs> That would be wild. I'm actually pumping here. My fear with Clyde Edwards-Alaire is always that the draft capital will motivate Andy Reid and co to give him more playing time than he has earned. And we have a really good thing going with the one-two punch of Pacheco and McKinnon. I just don't want to mess that up. At times, Andy has been really determined to play three running backs. And I think just stick with those two guys. Of course, you want a third option available. Uh, at, at this point, I think you know Rojo is healthy. He's been getting some playing time. I just think stick with the current situation we have going. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't think it matters that much because I think whoever the third guy is isn't going to be playing much, if at all, come playoff time. I do think Clyde is still better and more versatile than Ronald Jones. Just my personal preference. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Clyde as far as I hate any running back drafted in the first round, but I think it's a sunk cost. Take that out of the equation. Um, he's better than Ronald Jones. More A more complete back as well. Uh, let's get into the next one. Sky Moore should be playing over Justin Watson, who was in a slump. Playbook mastery and experience be damned. Pump or dump? I'm pumping. This is a pet peeve of mine, and – Andy Reid, I don't think I would trade him for any coach in the league, either working or not working right now. He is the perfect coach for this quarterback, this current league that is trending more pass happy every single year. But he has this annoying thing he does. And it's with rookie receivers, with young receivers, he wants them to have totally mastered the playbook. He wants them to know it frontwards, backwards, and know all three positions. And you look across the league. And what's happened, the trend, one of the reasons why receivers are starting to pop earlier is because they're playing all this seven and seven. They're getting more reps when they're young. And, and college now is a wide receiver factory, but also the NFL has evolved. They're not, they understand that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett aren't the exact same guy. So that you need to sort of tweak the playbook to be player specific. And, and especially with rookies, you kind of bring them along slowly. You give them what they excel at. You take what they don't do well off their plate. And Andy Reid just doesn't want to do that. And Justin Watson is out there. He was a drive killer against Seattle. If it wasn't for Justin Watson, I think the Chiefs might have scored 40 points. He had some very costly drops. And I just think, you know, Sky Moore, the one play he had out there, he made my eyes pop. I, I think that guy that he shook is still looking for his jock strap. You know, he looks, he shows flashes and we invested a second rounder on this guy. And we're, cost. He's a, he, he's a good player though. And if he's going to be a contributor, especially with McCole Hardman looking iffy, if he's going to be a contrib contributor, we need to get him, we need to get him more reps. I, I say dump. And here's the reason. It's not that I don't want to see more sky more. I would love to see more sky more, but they don't play the same position in my opinion. 
Yes, they're both wide receivers, but it's not the same. MVS is, or not MVS, uh, Sky Moore is more underneath routes. Watson is the deep guy. What's been noticeable is Watson is taking snaps away from MVS. If you look at the snap share, the snap counts from when Justin Watson started getting that uptick, it's not come necessarily to loss to Sky Moore. It's been a case of MVS trending way, way down. Um, I actually think MVS is a more talented player than Justin Watson. Uh, he's obviously more expensive. I wonder if any of this is a, hey, if we can get by with Justin Watson, I wonder if we can get out of the MVS contract and have a cheaper option, the same deep threat guy. Um, Justin Watson had had a nice season up to this point. Um, it seems like Mahomes trusts Justin Watson. I would like to see more Sky Moore, but I don't think it's necessarily Justin Watson that's taking snaps away from him. I don't understand why he got more snaps than MVS last week. Uh, MVS has, he hasn't really blown us away, but I think he's given us what we've paid for as a field stretcher, as a compliment to Juju and McColl, and now these other guys. So, and he's not, I mean, he does drop the ball a lot, but I think he's not hurting us the way Justin Watson has been recently. I will also say, I know some people don't like MVS for the drop reasons as well. MVS, we knew what we were getting into. It's, it's a roller coaster. I do think, though, that MVS has higher highs than Justin Watson. I think he has a, a higher upside. We've seen some catches from MVS that we haven't seen from hardly anyone else in the roster. He's a bigger body guy, very, very quick. I'm still a, I'm not thrilled with MVS, but this is who he is. If you expected more, I think some of that's on, on expectations. To me, MVS has met my expectations. This is who I thought he was. He's been fine. He's not a um, consistent player by any, any means, but you, you're hoping Sky Moore becomes a consistent guy and MVS you could keep as the um, old unreliable. The last thing I'll say about MVS is that he's been tracked as one of the fastest players in, in the NFL on the field. And that deep threat is real. So even when he is not making an impact with catches, I still think he affects the, the gravity out there. The defense has to account for that deep speed. He's a field stretcher and that is part of what we're paying for with him. Yeah. Uh, a couple of questions I want to get to, cause I, I feel like this is a fun one. You just came up with here, Adam. Um, General 51 says maybe Sky's watching Juju because that's going to be his role next season. Interesting. I do think they have a little similar role, similar running style. I think Sky Moore is a little smoother runner, but obviously Juju has the experience, knows what he's doing more. Um, Angry Drunken German says MVS is exactly what he was in Green Bay, and that's not impressive. I agree. He's a little better than he was in Green Bay. I'm not saying he's been extremely impressive, but this was, this was my expectations of him. I didn't have extremely high expectations of MVS. If he gets 800 yards, 750 yards, that's fine as the third option on a team. And this is with his snap share going way, way down. Um, Jerome Bunker says, Justin Watson able to track the ball well. I'm not sure, not sure, sure Sky Moore is better. I also saw Lucas down there. Um, he had an interesting take. Basically, he said, get your best guys, your best players on the field, your best pass catchers. Doesn't matter if they – if you don't have the downfield stretcher, right? If you don't have Justin Watts or, or MVS in the field, you can still get by with Sky Moore. I think you can, but it just feels like that would get really congested over the middle. Would that take away from Juju? Would that take he's away from slow, Travis He's not slow, though. I'm not four, saying he's slow. Four, I'm not four. saying he's slow. I'm, that, that never left my mouth there. No, I'm I, just I know. I'm just making the point that, that he can still 
be someone who occasionally stretches the field. Yeah. I, I just, I think it might get a little congested in the middle if it was just Sky, Travis, Juju, personally, personally. Um, and again, we all love Sky Moore. I think he's going to be a stud. You know, disclaimer here, I think Sky Moore is going to have a bigger role next year. I think he might be a legitimate starter next year on this Chiefs team. I'm very thrilled with what he's done so far. I just think that his role is going to be more defined in the offseason, not the rest of this year. Uh, let's get into the next pump or dump. Leo Chanel is peaking at the right time. It'll be an important playoff contributor. Pump or dump? Uh, small pump. I like the way he's playing. It's encouraging to see. He's better than Darius Harris already. And it's good to know that we have a third linebacker who isn't Darius Harris or Ben Neiman. Uh, and I, especially rushing and blitzing, I think he's going to be a useful piece. Uh, but we have high hopes for him. And the fact that he's already improving as a rookie is, in, is an encouraging sign. But I just don't know how much damage a player of his caliber at this moment can do in a playoff game. Yeah, I will go with agreeing with you again here at the show, which it seems like you and I have done a lot, which is weird for us. It weird. is. We're in the holiday spirit. Holiday spirit. Now, I do a slight pump, too. I don't think he's going to play a lot, but I think he can be impactful in those limited snaps. The Chiefs don't employ a lot of three linebacker sets. They just don't. They always have three safeties or three corners pretty much in the field uh, every single down. So that doesn't give Leo Chanel a lot of opportunity to make an impact. It's the Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. show. If Leo can spell those guys and in some sort of, you know, base package, make an impact, that's fantastic. I just don't know how much opportunity he will get. So you and I agree. This is fun. There we go. And the last one is Legereus Sneed traveling with DK Metcalf was a success. And Steve Spagnolo should deploy the same strategy if the Chiefs face prototypical alpha receivers like Jamar Chase or A.J. Brown in the playoffs. Pump or dump? This is a toughie. Yes. Oh, it's a tough. So I got to talk myself into this one. Yes, it, I think it was a great success against D.K. Metcalf. Even the catches that Metcalf made for the most part were very much contested. Mm -hmm. I would love to see Legereus Sneed go up against, let's say, Jerry Judy this upcoming week. That's because the only wide receiver that's worth anything was DK Metcalf because Tyler Lockett was out and Jerry Judy for the, for the Broncos. I don't think it continues with someone like the Bengals, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins. That's three different guys, right? Trent McDuffie, you trust in certain situations, right? DK Metcalf is six, four. That, that was the big body guy. How tall is Jamar Chase? He might be close. He's not I, I think, close. I, I think Legereus Sneed was, was more so also on DK Metcalf for the physicality reason. So I, I was, but someone like AJ Brown, who's a more physical receiver, you can I see, can that. see that. Okay. Yeah. And Trim McDuffie against Devontae Smith seems to make some sense based on the size sure. as well. I, hey, I, McDuffie I, looked good in the slot. He is a hell of a tackler. I was really impressed with the way he come up, he came up and and tackled and and kind of wrangled uh receivers or running backs. I thought he looked good in the slot, and he's a smaller guy. Our defense has more versatility. I'm actually going to pump here. I think what Spags was doing is he was giving it a little test drive. He said, well, I don't think Seattle can beat us in their current state, the way, the way we're playing. And this is a safe time to give this a spin and see if Legere Sneed is capable of hanging with a superstar receiver. We haven't really seen it before. 
let's find out before we get in the playoffs. And you don't want to experiment in the playoffs. You want to use the regular season and preferably games against inferior talent as sort of your laboratory to experiment. So that's what I think he was doing. I think we will see a little bit more of it. I don't know that he'll shadow somebody for an entire game like he did with DK Metcalf. I agree. Some of that was DK Metcalf just towers over, over the rest of the roster and Joshua Williams isn't ready to hang with DK Metcalf. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's get into the analytics addict where we will take a look at some analytical viewpoints of the Kansas city chiefs. Adam, what do you have? Going to shine a light at Chris Jones defensive player of the year award campaign. Just a really impressive year. Uh, I, I keep hearing the chatter online about trading Chris Jones, please, for the love of God, do not do that. He is the best defensive player we've had since Derek Thomas. And on top of that, he's a game wrecker like Derek Thomas was. All defensive players, even the all pros, Derek Johnson was a fantastic player. You didn't really see him or Tom Bahali single-handedly destroy an opposing offense like Chris Jones has the ability to. You think back to the Super Bowl. You think back to that Dallas game last season. And, and, and really, he was doing it last week. Geno Smith looked like he wanted no part of big number 95. Uh, so let's dig into the stats here. He's seventh in pass rush win rate, according to both ESPN and PFF. And he's only behind exclusively edge defenders who think about that position versus the interior. They are not eating double teams as often. Now, some of those guys do, do get doubled, like Miles Garrett, but not as often as Chris Jones. He's also third in hurries and top 10 in sacks, which is very impressive for uh, a defensive tackle. And he has improved as a run defender. He already has more run stops this season than he had all of last year in, in two extra games. So I've been impressed with just his consistency this year. Maybe it was the first hot take kingdom ever I said he was a top seven defensive player in the league. And you rightfully pointed out, well, he hasn't been really as consistent as some of these other dominant players. And I think the big step we've seen in his maturation is that he now is consistent. He Week in, week out, he is one of the most dominant players in the NFL. And it, it really has saved this defense's ass. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he gets DPOY. I think it's close. I, I, I just don't know if he's going to be able to get it. It feels like sack numbers are a, a huge indicator. It, it might go to a corner. I wonder if Sauce Gardner gets any sort of, uh, as a rookie, any sort of love in, in, you know, obviously New York as well, a big market. Chris Jones has been unbelievable this season. My question mark was always consistency with him. He's been consistent game in and game out. Massive fan of Chris Jones, what he's done this year. He's answered all the calls. I'm hoping he can continue this up into the playoffs. But Chris Jones, man, hat tip to you. Chris Jones, without him on this defense, this defense would be abysmal. True that. I agree with you, though. He probably won't win the award due to playing in Mahomes' shadow. Because Mahomes is going to win MVP. So it's hard to give one guy MVP and then another player on the same roster, defensive player of the year, I will say, though, that I think the surrounding talent around Jones compared to Micah Parsons or Nick Bosa or even Quinn Williams, who plays the same position, Jones just doesn't have as much talent around him. And I think that is part of the argument. I don't think it's going to be 
a, a winning argument. But for me, that's why I think probably his value to this defense might even be more valuable than, than say Nick Bosa is to the 49ers because without him, there just aren't, we just don't have enough dudes, you know? He's the only elite player, I would say, on this defense. I think Nick Bolton's very, very good. I don't think he's elite. I think Legereus Sneed is bordering that, but I think he still falls into the very, very good category. Second team right? all pro, not first team all pro. Yeah, I, I don't know if he falls into that. Uh, we don't know about trimming Duffy, obviously, question mark. Safety's no. Um, you know, defensive line, who else are you going to put in there? I mean, George Kalaftis has been the most consistent, probably, guy, and Frank Clark I, has had a nice bounce-back season, but those guys are nowhere near elite, especially Kalaftis, not yet. It's Chris Jones. I mean, he, he's the only guy, he's the engine on this defense that makes it work. So I'm with you as far as the talent level on surrounding other players like Quinnen Williams, Sauce Gardner. Uh, you can even make the case for DJ Reed. DJ Reed's had a very nice season uh, in yeah. New York as well. Yeah, Definitely. Let's move on to our parting shot and get you guys out of here. In the pre-Mahomes era, dating all the way back to 1960, the Dallas Texans slash Kansas City Chiefs had five 12-plus win seasons total. As a starter, Mahomes has won 12 or more games in all five seasons. I got down on my knees and prayed for a homegrown franchise quarterback for damn near 40 years. Sure, most fellow Chiefs fans felt the exact same way. The universe responded by sending us the Michael effing Jordan of football. Sometimes you simply have to pinch yourself and ask, is this real or am I living in a simulation? Because it's almost too good to be true. Almost. Guys, thank you for being with us on this Friday. Uh, let's go out and beat those damn Broncos this weekend. Go Chiefs, baby. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.